Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 86 of the show. Certainly another good one for you. We have lots to get into. We had a great PGA Tour event this past week, and uh, this weekend's tournament is the last tournament of the PGA Tour's regular season, so we'll recap last week's and preview this week's. Uh, Major League Baseball will do a standings update, and uh, we also had a trade deadline that passed, and it was uh, just as crazy as it usually is, so we'll recap and break down all of the major trades that went down. And then, of course, uh, the NFL training camp is underway, so we'll bring you some news and updates from there, uh, as well as some other uh, news from around the other various sports. But we're going to start off in the PGA Tour. Uh, This past weekend's tournament was the Rocket Mortgage Classic. That was at the Detroit Country Club in Detroit, Michigan. It's a par 72. Distance was 7,370 yards. All right, the course itself is more than a century old, Uh, But the PGA Tour has only been playing here since 2019. So this was the fourth uh, PGA Tour tournament at this course. Uh, It's technically a composite course. All right, The layout, I talked about it last week, very interesting for this. There's a north course and a south course there at the Detroit Country Club. All right, For the 18 holes for this, the Rocket Mortgage Classic, they used 17 holes from the north course and one hole from the south course. All right, so the, the layout for this thing um, is holes eight and nine uh, serving as holes one and two. All right, so uh, holes eight and nine on the north course are technically holes one and two, followed by hole one on the south course serving as hole three. And then they go back to the north course, holes two through seven finishes out the front nine. And then the back nine is all the back nine on the north course. All right, so very interesting layout. Uh, front nine has uh, the, the the front nine that played the front nine has a much heavier tree line. All right, there were a lot of tighter fairways, so you needed a little bit more accurate tee shots. We definitely saw that uh, throughout the round. Now I did talk about this course in depth last week, as far as the metric. Um, metric of deviation of terrain change, all right, which measures uh, for the Detroit Country Club at 2.18 feet, which is the flattest course on the PGA Tour, all right, so this thing was super flat. If you watched the broadcast, you saw that. Uh, It seemed like uh, every hole was, you know, just there for the taking because it was not, there, there really was no elevation. In fact, the elevation change at the Detroit Country Club from highest point to lowest point was only 43 feet, all right, uh, that is very small in comparison to other courses. Uh, I used Augusta National as the reference last week. That is 148 feet in elevation change. So uh, 43 feet at the Detroit Country Club certainly is a flat course. Uh, terrain was, was nothing like they had seen you know, in the previous few weeks between the 3M Open, uh, the Open Championship, and the uh, Genesis Scottish Open, very uh, undulating courses that we saw there. Uh, The Rocket Mortgage Classic was the second-to-last regular season event on the PGA Tour's calendar, so uh, FedEx Cup points were at a premium. The field was okay. Uh, We did have one top-10 golfer in the world, uh, several other highly-ranked players as well, uh, some recognizable names, and uh, I I mentioned that I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, so uh, for me, this tournament in particular uh, definitely piqued my interest more than uh, the average uh, tournaments do. Uh, so I was tuned into this thing. I watched a lot of it on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, so I got to see uh, pretty much how this thing unfolded. Uh, round one uh, got started. Mark Hubbard, he ended up getting a hole in one. 
on the par 3 11th hole. Now, he actually hit his tee shot and threw his club like in disgust, thinking he hit a bad shot. The ball ended up bouncing, rolling onto the green and uh, into the cup. So it was a pleasant surprise for Mark Hubbard to get a hole-in-one on that. And then round two, we saw another hole-in-one. It was on the par 3 15th hole, and that was from Rory Sabatini. All right, just an absolutely perfect shot there by Sabatini. And then uh, round two, uh, rookie phenom Cameron Young. He carded a 9-under round of 63. That was bogey-free, tied the course record, uh, put him in contention there uh, heading into the weekend. Uh, Not much action in round three uh, of note anyways. Uh, Round four, uh, Tony Finau, uh, he played terrific all weekend. He did not make a single bogey until the final round on Sunday on the 11th hole. All right, so he played uh, 65 holes or 64 holes without a bogey. And his first bogey came on the 65th hole out of 72 for the weekend. So, and that was his only bogey all weekend. Played spectacular golf um, and literally, um, you know, that's that's almost impossible to do is play a, a full tournament, 72 holes and not bogey um, a single hole, but he just bogeyed the one. Uh, that's just some high level stuff. Finau is playing uh, at an unbelievable clip right now. Of course, he won the 3M Open uh, the week before last uh, there at TPC Twin Cities, and he ended up using that stellar play to capture a victory here at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, meaning that he won back-to-back tournaments. His first back-to-back winner on tour this season. We haven't seen a back-to-back winner in a while. It's just not something you see very often, Uh, but Finau is playing at an incredible level right now. Uh, It was his fourth career victory on tour, his second in the last two weeks, and he won with a score of 26 under par, which uh, is actually the course record. He beat Nate Lashley's course record uh, of 25 under par that was set back in 2019, all right? So uh, Finau just came out. He shot um, an 8 under 64, 6 under 66, 7 under 65, and a 5-under 67 in round four for a total of 26 under par. <clears throat> and he just dominated. Um, he was five shots clear of the three-way tie that we saw at, at second place. Uh, T2 had three guys. It was Patrick Cantlay, 21 under par. Uh, Taylor Pendrith at 21 under par. Now, Pendrith was in the final pairing with Finau both Saturday and Sunday, and uh, Pendrith kind of ran out of gas there on Sunday. He couldn't make a putt. Everything he was hitting was coming up short, uh, and it was pretty clear about halfway through the round that Finau was going to win this thing. Uh, He just pulled away. And then the third guy to finish at T2, 21 under par, was Cameron Young. Uh, He came out, he went one under, in Thursday's opening round. Then I mentioned he tied the course record with a 9-under 63 on Friday, followed that up on a weekend with a 7-under 65 and a 4-under 68. Probably could have been a little lower. He missed a couple of birdie putts that he would like to have back. Um, I don't know that he would have caught Finau, but he would have been solo second. But Cameron Young, uh, of course, he was the runner-up at the Open Championship a couple weeks ago. This was his seventh top three finish this year, which ties Scotty Scheffler for the most top three finishes on tour this season. The other guys uh, behind them only have uh, four top three finishes. That's Xander Shoffley, Cam Smith, Justin Thomas, Patrick Cantlay, Sam Burns, and Rory McIlroy. So uh, that's an impressive list there. And then, of course, Scotty Scheffler is who he's tied with in top three finishes. So very impressive rookie season for Cameron Young. He's all but sealed the deal for Rookie of the Year on the PGA Tour. Um, certainly, you got to give it to him. The only guy you can talk about is Sahith Thigala, but uh, Cameron Young's resume certainly is better than that. Uh, solo fifth was Steven Yeager at 20 under par. This dude can play. Uh, he's on the bubble to make the, um, to make the uh, FedEx Cup playoffs, but 
he is uh, looking really good uh, to make the playoffs at this time. Solo sixth was Taylor Moore at 19 under par. Uh, solo seventh was Yuhung Kim, or J.Y. Kim, as it was listed, or J.H. Kim, I guess, as it was listed on the uh, the leaderboard. He was at 18 under par. He actually, uh, in his final round on Sunday, he tied the course record as well with a 9 under 63. So uh, he kind of... Uh, jumped up there. He he had a good showing in Scotland too. I think it was the Genesis Scottish Open that he, uh, I think he finished in the top 10 there as well. So as you can see, Tony Finau's 26 under par was just uh, ridiculous. Five shots clear of second place. Uh, this thing was, was his and it was completely dominated by Finau. All in all, great tournament. Uh, the course was in immaculate condition. Like I mentioned, with the 3M Open the week before last. The Midwest has had terrific weather this summer. Uh, plenty of sunshine, warm weather uh, mixed in with some rain. So uh, the course was in great shape. Uh, but this weekend's tournament is the Wyndham Championship, which is at the Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's a par 70. Distance is 7,131 yards. All right. This course was designed by Donald Ross, who actually designed the Detroit Country Club as well, where they just played this past weekend. So um, Sedgefield Country Club is also relatively flat, uh, but it does have small and undulating greens. All right. So a lot of the terrain uh, is on the on the back part of the hole there, the greens. And uh, PGA Tour started playing here in 2007. Uh, it was a little bit shorter of a course uh, at that point in time, but they have lengthened it over the years since the PGA Tour started playing here. Uh, last year's ren uh, version of, of this tournament was an epic one. We had a six-man playoff, all right, to, to determine a winner. Uh, Kevin Kistner came out on top there in that six-man playoff. Um, but interesting note, well, we've seen some really low scores here at Sedgefield, uh, last year's tournament, believe it or not, with that six-man playoff, uh, it actually ended a five-year streak in which the winning score was 20 under par or lower, all right? So last year snapped that streak. Uh, with the way these guys have been playing, I would expect the winning score this week to be lower than 20 under par again, uh, just because of the high-level golf that's been being played all year long. The field for this thing um, is is pretty average, all right? Not going to lie to you. It's not good, uh, but it's not terrible. Uh, you do have a couple of uh, bigger-name guys. Uh, the top-ranked players in the field this week are Will Zalatoris and Billy Horschel, all right? Those guys are ranked 13th and 14th, respectively, in the official World Golf Rankings. And four of the six guys that played in the playoff hole uh, last year uh, will be out there, including Kevin Kissner, uh, the winner from last year, and Adam Scott. All right, and some other notable names playing this week Webb Simpson, Justin Rose, Shane Lowry, Siwoo Kim, and Sung J M. All right, so uh, there are some recognizable names. Like I said, none of the top 12 in the world are going to be out there, so that, um, you know, might not be as good of a viewing uh, tournament as we normally see, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be competitive. Like I said last year, we had a six-man playoff. That's just something you don't see. So um, it's the final regular season event, all right, the the uh, Wyndham Championship is. So this weekend is the last weekend of uh, regular season PGA Tour golf before we move to the FedEx Cup playoffs. This is the last chance to secure any FedEx Cup points, all right? Only the top 125 players get into the FedEx Cup playoffs, uh, so... Uh, now is the time to shine. Uh, like I said, this weekend, um, you know, obviously as we move forward the next few weeks with some playoff golf, uh, that's going to be very entertaining. But uh, the Wyndham Championship should be a good tournament. Uh, I'll be tuned into it, um, you know, probably over the weekend uh, to kind of see how it's going. But um, like I said, field's, field's okay. Uh, it's, it's good enough to watch, certainly. And like I said, it's your last chance to watch regular season uh, PGA Tour golf. Uh, so definitely tune into that, and uh, we'll check back in on the PGA Tour next week to see how it played out.
But we'll move over to Major League Baseball, do a standings update here in the MLB. Uh, of course, this week's standings update uh, is not the main Major League Baseball news. That was the trade deadline, which we'll get to shortly in the Around the Islands segment. But uh, we'll run through the standings update here. Uh, all the teams have crossed the 100-game mark, so uh, we're looking at uh, about 103 to 106 games played for most teams. So we are well over the halfway point of the season and uh, now on the back nine, so to speak. Uh, but we'll start off in the National League. The NL East, the New York Mets, are still up top in that division. They're 66-38. and 38. They've won eight out of their last ten. They did get starting pitcher Jacob deGrom back this week. It was his first start of the season after spending the entire year so far on IL. Uh, he went five innings through 59 pitches. He only gave up three hits, only allowed one earned run, struck out six guys. Uh, he did have a couple pitches over 100 miles an hour, uh, so it seems to be that his uh, velocity is back. He got a no decision, so uh, that's usually what happens when you only throw five innings, but uh, good news for Mets fans. The Mets are three and a half games clear of the Atlanta Braves, who are 63-42. and 42. Uh, Braves just re-signed third baseman Austin Riley to a 10-year, $212 million contract extension this past week. Uh, that kid's, he's just truly a, a great player. He's hitting 300, has 30 home runs, uh, just an impressive young third baseman. Uh, Braves will most certainly be in the playoffs at the rate that they've been playing. Uh, Philadelphia Phillies, they're third in the NL East at 56-48. and 48. They're 10 games back of the Mets. They were pretty active at the trade deadline, as we'll discuss. Uh, the Miami Marlins, they're 48-57, and 57, uh, 18 and a half games back. You know, they're out of the playoff hunt, but their starting pitcher, Sandy Alcantara, I, I mentioned this last week, uh, he, going into this week's start, he had thrown nine games, uh, of at least eight innings, which was two more than any other single team had as an entire team. So uh, this past week, he actually threw his third uh, complete game of the season this year, which leads the majors. Uh, it was his 10th uh, outing of eight-plus innings this year, which, again, just simply incredible. That he's Obviously, he made the All-Star game for a reason. He's a terrific pitcher and certainly the ace uh, of the Marlins. Washington Nationals are in last place in the NL East and the entire league. They're 36-70. and 70. Uh, That's exactly where they're going to stay. They, uh, they were sellers at the trade deadline. Uh, we'll talk about that. But, yeah, they're going to be camped out in last place the rest of the year. National League Central, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers are up top there, 57-46. and 46. Uh, their uh, relief pitcher, uh, Devin Williams, uh, coming into this week, uh, he had not given up an earned run in over two months. All right, He's kind of been the setup guy for Josh Hader, um, pitching the eighth inning for the Brewers. Uh, he's got a 0.00 ERA over the last 27.2 innings, which, again, has spanned about two months. So the streak started on May 16th, and ironically enough, uh, it ended – on August the 3rd, uh, in which it was his first appearance as the team's closer. All right, more news on Josh Hader. Uh, he got moved at the trade deadline, so Williams moved into that role, and oddly enough, um, his first start uh, as a closer in the actual closer role, he ended up giving up a walk-off home run to lose the game. So interesting there, but the Brewers are two games clear of the St. Louis Cardinals, who are 55-48. and 48. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt's just been on another level this year. Guy's just been a monster. He's hitting 330, uh, over 30 home runs. I think he's at 33 or 35 home runs, something like that. Just incredible. Cardinals will probably be a wild-card team as well. Uh, whichever the Cardinals and Brewers don't win the division, the other will be a wild-card more than likely. Third place in the NL Central, the Cincinnati Reds at 42 and 62. Fourth place, Chicago Cubs, 41 and 61. And uh, the last place team, the NL Central, Pittsburgh Pirates, all right, 41 and 62. Now, that's interesting because, you know, there's only uh, a game and a half, 
pardon me, a, a half a game that separates the Reds from the Pirates. But the Reds are no longer in last place. It's probably the first episode all season in which the Reds have not been in last place. Uh, so interesting there. Uh, the Pirates have only won twice in their last 10 games. So they are uh, heading in the wrong direction. Now, the National League West, all right, um, Los Angeles Dodgers. They're up top there at 70 and 33. All right, they've won seven out of their last 10. Uh, they're 11 and a half games clear of the San Diego Padres, who are 60 and 46. More on the Padres in the trade deadline piece that we'll get to shortly. All right. Um, the Padres, though, they did re sign pitcher Joe Musgrove to a five year, $100 million extension. So he's been, he's essentially been their ace this year ahead of you, uh, Darvish. So. Uh, but the the Padres are 11 and a half games back as we sit now, uh, but they have help on the way uh, in the form of some massive trades they made this week, and so we'll get into that. Padres are certainly a playoff team, uh, also a contender for the World Series at this point. I would not be surprised, and I'm, I'm saying this now on August 3rd, I would not be surprised if the Padres actually catch up to the Dodgers uh, for that division lead. Um, with what they did at the trade deadline. Uh, San Francisco Giants are third in the NL West at 51-53. and 53. Uh, They're 19 and a half games back of the Dodgers, eight games back of the Padres. They've won three out of their last ten. Um, they're, they're, they might not be. I don't think they're, they're a playoff team at the moment, the Giants. In fact, I, I'm, I would be willing to bet that they missed the playoffs with how competitive uh, National League is getting. Fourth place, the NL West, is the Arizona Diamondbacks, 46 and 58. And then last place is the Colorado Rockies at 46 and 60. Moving over to the American League, the American League East uh, is no longer the biggest division lead. All right. It is tied for the second biggest division lead. It's uh, the Yankees are up top at 70 and 36. They are the first team to 70 wins. Uh, they've been the first team. To um, you know, Dodgers have 70 wins too, but the Yankees got their first. Uh, they've pretty much been the first team to every mile marker win uh, this season. Um, Yankees, though, um, Aaron Judge. Okay, this guy has been an absolute monster all year. He's up over 40. I think he's got 43 home runs as it sits now. Just was on a torrid home run streak earlier this year, or earlier this week, I mean. He became the second fastest player in Major League Baseball history to reach 200 career home runs. Um, late last week after we released the episode, his 39th home run of the year was a walk-off against the New York Mets. It was his third walk-off home run of the season, which uh, made him join only Mickey Mantle as the only Yankee players ever with three walk-off home runs in the same season. And he became only the second Yankees player to hit 10 home runs in an 11-game span. The only other player to do that was Don Mattingly back in 1987. So uh, this guy's he's on pace for 66 home runs, Aaron Judge. Uh, just an incredible year. John Carlos Stanton has been on the IL for the last week, so they should get him back uh, before next episode. Uh, they made some trades. We talked about getting Andrew Benatendi last week. They also made another a uh, couple of trades this at the deadline that we'll talk about. So the Yankees are certainly uh, going for gold here this year. They're 11 games clear of the Toronto Blue Jays. All right, Toronto is 58 and 46. They've won seven out of their last 10, uh, but they also made a pretty impressive trade deadline acquisition. Uh, it wasn't really flashy in the news per se like some of the other trades, but I think it's going to benefit them uh, maybe more than some of the other trades that were more uh, made well known. <clears throat> um, Blue Jays, like I said, Blue Jays and Mariners are my were my uh, preseason picks uh, for the American League Championship Series. So we'll see how they do. They're certainly a playoff team, uh, and nothing they did or didn't do at the deadline would would prevent that. Tampa Bay Rays are third uh, in the AL East at fifty five and forty nine. They've only won three times in their last ten. The Baltimore Orioles are still in fourth place in the AL East at 54-51. and 51. They've won three games in a row, seven out of their last ten. 
they're 15 and a half back of the Yankees, but they're actually in the wild card hunt. I think they're only um, a few games out of the wild card, final wild card spot. Boston Red Sox, last place in the AL East. They just got Rafael Devers back off the IL. They're 53 and 53, but they're uh, a game and a half behind Baltimore. All right, 17 games back of the Yankees. I don't know if Boston's a playoff team. Their roster probably indicates that they are, but with the competition we're seeing uh, in this division, uh, plus that AL West uh, with a couple of elite teams, um, I don't know that it's going to happen this year for the Red Sox. Over in the American League Central, Minnesota Twins. They're up top in the division at 55-49. and 49. They have a one-game lead on the Cleveland Guardians, who are 54-40. and 40. I mean, 54-50. and 50. Uh, Chicago White Sox are third. They're 53-51. and 51. Now, the White Sox are only two games back of the Twins. They've won seven out of their last ten, and uh, they are playing some really good baseball. Uh, starting pitcher Dylan Cease has just been amazing this year. Uh, he's top three in the major leagues in strikeouts. Uh, guy's just been awesome. Their lineup's finally starting to hit with consistency, and uh, I think the White Sox might end up winning uh, this division when it's all said and done. Fourth place, the Detroit Tigers at 42-64. and 64. And then last place is Kansas City Royals, 41-64. and 64. Over in the American League West, the Houston Astros, uh, they're 68-38. and 38. They made several moves at the deadline. We'll discuss that. They're 11 games clear of the Seattle Mariners. Now, the Mariners have, of course, um, you know, they, they came into the All-Star break with 14 straight wins. They lost three, then won three. Um, kind of been back and forth, up and down. Julio Rodriguez was placed on the IL, 10-day IL, uh, earlier this week with a wrist injury. He should be back before next episode. And then, uh, you know, they they made some good moves at the deadline as well. But Mariners, uh, they, they're 57-49. and 49. I, I certainly think they're obviously a playoff team with how they've been playing and the moves that they made. So, uh, keep an eye on Seattle. I don't know if they're going to catch Houston, uh, but I certainly think they're locked into a wild card spot. Third place in the AL West, um, <clears throat> my Texas Rangers. They're uh, forty six and fifty eight. Uh, they've only won three times in their last ten games. They actually just finished up that long road trip that I talked about last week, that included almost fifteen hours of flight time between four cities, uh, five cities actually. So they're finally back home. Uh, They're not playing great, but uh, in their game against the Los Angeles Angels this past Sunday, the Rangers became the second team in Major League Baseball history to face three immaculate innings in a single season. Okay, Angels pitcher Reed Detmers threw an immaculate inning against the Rangers in the second inning of Sunday's game, which, if you recall, the Rangers uh, had two immaculate innings thrown against them in the same game about two months ago. That was courtesy of the Houston Astros. It was the same three batters in that game that went down for both immaculate innings. So that was history in and of itself. And then uh, Texas, like I said, they're only the uh, second team in baseball history to have three immaculate innings thrown on them in the same season, which is absolutely horrendous. Um, But they've only scored three fewer runs than the Astros this whole season. All right, and uh, which is, you know, of course, second most in that division. So they're scoring runs, but uh, their bullpen, um, it's like the Walmart version of a bullpen. Um, They don't have one, basically. It's the great value brand bullpen, and that's kind of been their Achilles heel uh, this year, especially here in the last few weeks. But uh, the Los Angeles Angels are fourth in the AL West at 44 and 59. And the Oakland A's are last at 39 and 66. So again, about 103 to 106 games into this regular season. We got about uh, 55, 60 games left or so. And um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a good finish. We got a lot of good division battles that'll, that'll be coming down to the wire. Uh, I'm inter- interested to see how the, le- the large division leads if they continue to grow or if they shrink. Um, But, again, 
Stay tuned here just a bit for the Around the Island segment because we'll get you caught up on all of the trade deadline trades that went down. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That is where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. And this one's an absolutely loaded segment for you this week. Uh, I feel like I say that every week, but uh, sports is fluid and uh, it is just full of info this week, particularly in the NFL and in Major League Baseball. Uh, Lots to get into. We're just going to start off in the National Football League. Several uh, free agent signings, a couple of big re-signings took place this past week. Both involve uh, fourth-year wide receivers, and both are in the NFC West. The first one to re-sign was DK Metcalf. Uh, He and the Seattle Seahawks agreed to a three-year, $72 million extension, includes $58.2 million guaranteed. It also gave him a $30 million signing bonus, which is the highest signing bonus ever for a wide receiver. And then the other one was uh, wide receiver Debo Samuel and the San Francisco 49ers. They agreed to a three-year $71.5 million extension with 58.1 guaranteed. Almost an identical contract to DK Metcalf, uh, about a half a million dollars less total value and about a $100,000 less on the total guaranteed. So uh, these two, in signing those contracts, uh, those two became the sixth and seventh wide receivers this offseason to sign contracts that are going to pay them an average annual value north of $24 million per year. Of course, the others you had Tyreek Hill, uh, Devontae Adams, uh, A.J. Brown, just to name a few. But all of those guys are north of $24 million per year. This is certainly the time to be a high-profile wide receiver in the NFL. Now, the 49ers uh, used Debo Samuel last year as a running back quite a bit. And because of that, uh, his contract actually has uh, up to an additional $1.95 million in incentives over the entire three years of his contract for rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. Now, what I mean by that is Debo Samuel can earn $650,000 per year for each year that he has at least 380 rushing yards, and he can also earn an extra $150,000 per year if he scores uh, three rushing touchdowns in any of those years. So pretty cool incentive for Debo Samuel. I would almost bet, certainly this year, if they piggyback off of what they did last year with him, last half of the year with him, he's certainly going to rush for more than 380 yards and three touchdowns this year. So um, I would bet on that this year from him. Uh, I mentioned both of those wide receivers are in their fourth year. They were taken, uh, both of them, in the second round of the 2019 draft. And, of course, neither uh, neither one has been anything short of spectacular in their first three seasons. Um, now, they both actually threatened to hold out of training camp uh, waiting for a new contract. Uh, DK Metcalf uh, didn't have to do that. He signed his first. And Debo Samuel reported to training camp. Uh, he had demanded a trade earlier in the offseason, but that, of course, uh, did not come to fruition, and he ended up re-signing. Couple other uh, notable contract signings: the Kansas City Chiefs. They signed defensive end Carlos Dunlap to a one-year, eight million dollar contract. His former first-round pick, kind of spent a lot of years in Cincinnati. Couple with Seattle, uh, still can be fairly disruptive uh, when he brings it. And then the New York Jets. They signed linebacker Quan Alexander to a one-year contract. Now Alexander, uh, he previously played for Jets head coach Robert Sala. Uh, when he was with San Francisco, so he should, uh, I'm, I believe he's a former first-round pick as well, um, but uh, either way, he's 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 a veteran linebacker that'll fit right in on Salah's defense. Now, an interesting signing here, uh, this is the last one we'll go over, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they re-signed their kicker, Chris Boswell, to a four-year, $20 million contract extension that includes $12.5 million guaranteed for a kicker. Okay, that actually ties Boswell with Baltimore's Justin Tucker as the highest paid kicker in NFL history. And Chris Boswell is nowhere near Justin Tucker's level. In fact, Chris Boswell probably isn't even a top five kicker in the league uh, on talent. 
uh, if you were to write him out, I don't think he would be in your top five. But Pittsburgh, uh, he's been there. Uh, he's con- he's pretty good. He's consistent, and so. Uh, but they're paying him as the best kicker in NFL history. Um, training camps are all officially underway. Uh, we've seen some padded practices, and believe it or not, uh, this week Thursday is the Hall of Fame game, which is the start of the preseason. Uh, This year's game features the Las Vegas Raiders and the Jacksonville Jaguars. That is this Thursday, August the 4th. Uh, The game is in Canton, Ohio at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, And By the time you listen to this, the game may have already been played. But yeah, we're officially underway here in the preseason, uh, which means that we've had some training camp injuries that have happened. All right, uh, I'm just going to list a few notable ones. Uh, the The first one that came about was Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Their center, Ryan Jensen, he got carted off the field uh, with a knee injury. Uh, they have not been real specific with what happened. Uh, there's been no report of the extent of the injury, but Tampa Bay has already said that they it was a significant injury and they expect him to miss months. Now, you got to think it's an ACL MCL, something like that, that's going to require surgery. Uh, At this point, until they give further information, uh, I don't think we're going to see Ryan Jensen uh, this year, which is a huge blow to that Tampa Bay offensive line. Tom Brady came back and Ryan Jensen re-signed there to help give Brady some protection, and uh, he lost his center. Uh, The Denver Broncos, their camp took a huge blow on uh, this past Tuesday. They lost two offensive players, both of them to torn ACLs. The first one was wide receiver Tim Patrick. Uh, He's number three on their wide receiver depth chart. Sneaky good wide receiver. Uh, He's not usually covered by any of the good corners, and he just uh, catches the ball and makes plays. He tore his ACL making a catch, and then in that same practice, uh, backup running back Demarie Crockett, I think he's Fourth, third or fourth string running back for Denver. He tore his ACL as well, and so he's out for the year. So tough luck for the Broncos. They're starting off the way that the uh, Ravens did last year. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, safety Jordan Poyer, he suffered a potentially serious arm injury. Uh, he's undergoing MRIs and testing to see the extent, uh, but he got carted off the field with an arm injury. I believe that was on Tuesday as well. So uh, bad luck there for those teams. And then the other notable injury, the Dallas Cowboys uh, wide receiver that they signed this offseason, James Washington. He fractured his foot in practice on Monday. Uh, he's already had surgery on Tuesday. The time frame given for recovery is six to ten weeks. All right, so that puts him out uh, at least the first month and a half or so. Uh, month, we'll say, at best. Cowboys wide receiver room is already extremely thin, uh, losing Cooper, uh, Amari Cooper in the offseason, and uh, Michael Gallup has already said he's not going to be ready for week one. So uh, basically right now you have C.D. Lamb and third-round rookie Jalen Tolbert as the only two viable options uh, in the wide receiver room there for the Cowboys. So that is certainly bad news there. Some other NFL news, uh, the Deshaun Watson saga has finally come to a close. Of course, you remember he was traded to the Cleveland Browns a couple months ago. Uh, We've all been waiting for a suspension to come down for all of those uh, sexual harassment cases that he was facing, the civil suits. Uh, Well, the verdict came down earlier this week. On Monday, it was announced that Deshaun Watson is officially suspended for the first six games of the NFL season. Uh, He was not fined. Now, this is a very interesting uh, suspension. A lot of of flack has been given. Of course, you remember uh, after uh, the tail end of last season, it was announced that uh, I think it was maybe in the playoffs perhaps, um, it came out that uh, Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley had been betting on the Falcons games. He put $1,500 down on the Falcons to win a game. And uh, because he bet or gambled on a game as a player, uh, the NFL suspended him for a full season. But you have here uh, Deshaun Watson, who was accused by 24, 26 different women of being sexually harassed, uh, and he gets a six-game suspension. So 
Uh, the NFL's caught a lot of caught a lot of flack for that, but uh, nonetheless, Watson's gone for six games. So Jacoby Brissett is going to be the Cleveland Browns starter for the first six games. Uh, the AFC is absolutely brutal and rugged, and I just don't think that the Browns uh, are going to make the playoffs this year. Uh, you know, if Deshaun Watson played all year, I think they would. But uh, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. But that's going to be a tough ask for Brissett to come in there and, and get the Browns off to a good start and win four out of those six games. But uh, some other quarterback news, some follow-up about that Kyler Murray contract extension that I talked about last week. All right, I went into detail about that clause of Kyler Murray's contract extension that the Cardinals had included, uh, which required Kyler Murray to study film for four hours per week on his own, not at meetings, right? I talked all about that. Well, after that, uh, it you know, that information obviously spread like wildfire and Kyler Murray ended up calling an impromptu press conference to address it. And in that press conference, he basically said that it was disrespectful to believe that he didn't study already uh, on his own and prepare for the games and, uh, you know, yada, yada, whatever. After that press conference, Arizona Cardinals actually removed the film study clause from Kyler Murray's contract. So that Part of the contract is null and void. And they released a statement, the Cardinals did, that said, quote, it was clearly perceived in ways that were never intended. Our confidence in Kyler Murray is as high as it's ever been, and nothing demonstrates our belief in his ability to lead this team more than the commitment reflected in this contract, end quote. Now, I saw a report, and I don't know the validity of this, but I did read something that said that part of the reason that they didn't believe that he was watching film at home on his own was because some at some point last season, uh, the Cardinals had sent home some blank film uh, with Kyler Murray. And then when he came back, uh, either the next day or whatever that next practice was, he came back and said that uh, he'd watched the film. They asked him what it was about, and he said blitz packages uh, when, in fact, they had sent home blank film. So I don't know if that's valid. I can see them doing that. And everything adds up to, to to point to Kyler Murray not studying on his own, all right? Um, he has gotten better each of his first few years in the league. So, uh, I mean, that's a positive. Uh, but he is a terrific athlete. So, uh, but I, I don't see why you would put that clause in there if he's not doing it. And for him to get as defensive as he did uh, indicates to me. And then you have a report that basically says that he was caught lying about watching film it all adds up uh, to him, you know, not studying on his own. But nonetheless, the Cardinals removed that from his contract. Uh, and to top it all off, after that press conference, uh, the next day I think it was announced that Kyler Murray had COVID, and so he's going to miss this week at training camp. Now, an interesting piece of news, the final piece of NFL news, an interesting piece of news uh, on Tuesday that came out. Uh, the NFL announced that they wrapped up a six-month investigation into the Miami Dolphins and whether or not they had tampered with a player and a coach under contract, and if also if the team tanked in the 2019 season in order to improve their draft position for the 2020 draft. So basically, during the investigation, the NFL found evidence that the Miami Dolphins communicated with Tom Brady during the 2019-2020 season while he was still under contract with the Patriots. Talks started uh, around August of 2019, continued throughout the season and into the playoffs. And uh, they actually had discussed Brady becoming a partner, a football executive, and possibly playing for the Miami Dolphins. So they, they discovered that. Uh, the NFL also discovered evidence that the uh, Dolphins had conversations with New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton's agent, in January of this year, 2022, uh, about Sean Payton becoming their next head coach. This was before Sean Payton retired, all right, and uh, Miami did not get the New Orleans Saints' consent to have those discussions. And after Sean Payton announced his retirement, Miami did ask New Orleans for permission to speak to Payton, but he de uh, the Saints declined. Um, so they did find evidence on both of those two things, but they did not find evidence that Miami intentionally lost games or tanked uh, during the 2019 season in order to improve their draft stock. So 
that's at least the silver lining is that they did not find any evidence of that. But the NFL did hand out the punishment, uh, and it was a steep one. Uh, Dolphins will forfeit their 2023 first-round pick, which is next year's draft, and then their 2024 third-round pick, which is the year after that. Now, the Dolphins have done a—and uh, their owner got fined quite a bit. Um, now, the Dolphins have done a great job stockpiling draft picks and using them and moving them, and they have a good, solid core of, of young players. So we'll see, uh, without a first-round pick next year, uh, how that plays out. But uh, certainly a lot of NFL news there to unpack. But we'll move over real quick to the National Hockey League, just a f- about four free agent signings that went down. Um, the first one most notable, the Anaheim Ducks. They signed former Dallas Stars defenseman John Klingberg to a one-year deal worth $7 I uh, hate to see Klingberg go, but he just was costing the Stars too much and uh, was too big of a cap hit. So uh, who knows? He may end up back in Dallas after his one year there in Anaheim. The New York Rangers, they re-signed forward Capo Caco to a two-year, $4 million deal. Now, Caco was the second overall pick in the draft, uh, I believe it was three years ago. Uh, so he hasn't quite panned out to what they would have hoped, but um, still a good young player. The Ottawa Senators, they re-signed forward Matthew Joseph to a four-year, almost $12 million deal. Uh, they acquired Joseph in the trade that sent uh, Nick Paul to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay actually ended up sending Matthew Joseph back. That was a great trade. Uh, both of those guys worked out really well in their new uh, settings, and both of them had just signed extensions this offseason with their new team. So uh, interesting there. And the Calgary Flames, they re-signed defenseman Oliver Shillington, two years, five million, avoided arbitration with him. So, um, you know, that's just some quick NHL news. Not not a whole lot going on in the NHL right now. Uh, Certainly a full-blown middle of the offseason there in the National Hockey League. I do actually have one more uh, NHL free agent signing to report, and that is also with the Calgary Flames I just mentioned. They re-signed defenseman Oliver Shillington. Uh, they also re-signed a key piece of their offensive core. Uh, the Flames have re-signed uh, forward Andrew Maggiapani to a three-year $17.4 million contract. Uh, he had 35 goals this past year, 55 points in 82 games. Uh, great Great player, quick, uh, shifty, and he certainly was a, a big piece of that um, that Flames team this year, and uh, he's staying in Calgary. So uh, that being said, we'll move over to Major League Baseball, and just an absolute uh, crazy week in Major League Baseball. Uh, we just went over the standings updates a little bit ago, but the most important piece of news was the trade deadline that went down Trade deadline was Tuesday afternoon, and you know Major League Baseball's trade deadline is by far the best out of any of the four major pro sports. Uh, the NBA's can get kind of kind of crazy sometimes, but nothing like Major League Baseball. There were so many big trades that went down. You know, I don't want to bombard you with a a ton of trades, but I, we have to talk about that. You know, at least. Uh, a lot of the big names that got moved because there were a ton. Um, just absolute uh, banana land here for the trade deadline in Major League Baseball. The San Diego Padres, they were probably the most active and most productive. Uh, they are by far the clear winners of the trade deadline. They started it out by acquiring closer Josh Hader from the Milwaukee Brewers in exchange for uh, Taylor Rogers and uh, Denilson Lamette and a couple of prospects. All right, so uh, hey, Josh Hader leads the major leagues in saves, and um, they traded for uh, Taylor Rogers or gave up Taylor Rogers, who's number two in the league in saves. So the top two guys in the league in saves got traded for one another. Uh, that trade probably uh, would have been. Uh, it's going to be mutually beneficial, I think. Uh, the package that the Brewers got uh, is a pretty good one. And then after that trade went down, the Padres made the biggest splash of all in free agency. They went out 
they acquired outfielder Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals. Now, I mentioned he was disgruntled in Washington and uh, all that jazz the last couple episodes. So the Padres uh, acquired Juan Soto. They also got first baseman Josh Bell from Washington. Now, the package that they gave up to get him, you knew it was going to be a steep one. Uh, some names that they that got traded to Washington from San Diego. Mackenzie Gore is a pitcher. Uh, shortstop C.J. Abrams, probably their top prospect in their organization. He's He's been playing on the Padres team most of this year. First baseman Luke Voigt. Outfielder Robert Hassel, again, another top prospect. And then a couple of uh, other highly touted prospects. Uh, just a huge package there for Juan Soto, but you knew it was going to be. Uh, interesting fact here. Uh, first baseman Eric Hosmer, he was actually supposed to be a part of this deal instead of Luke Voigt, uh, but Hosmer did not remove Washington from his no-trade clause, so he ended up getting shipped elsewhere. We'll talk about that in a second. So that gives the Padres uh, a big three of Juan Soto, Manny Machado, and Fernando Tatis Jr., who is coming back from injury relatively soon. That's frightening. Uh, all of those guys are in their 20s. Uh, all of them make ridiculous money. Uh, Soto's going to have to be at least 30 to $35 million per year uh, on top of the 30 a year that Machado uh, makes. And I think Tatis is you know around 25 per year or something like that. So uh, those three guys are just uh, three of the top probably 10 players in baseball, three of the top eight players in baseball. So uh, the Padres are absolutely stacked. And if that wasn't enough, they went out and got infielder Brandon Drury from Cincinnati in exchange for another prospect. So um, the Padres are in win-now mode, all right? Well, we talked about there are quite a few games behind the Dodgers in the division. Uh, but with this move, I mean, I, I think they can – they can do some damage. Uh, they might be able to catch them. Uh, certainly a playoff team here. Uh, the Padres did deplete their farm system, but I, I think they have the best roster in the league, at least the best lineup in the league as it sits when healthy, uh, when fully healthy. Uh, the Seattle Mariners, they uh, made a big trade of their own. They went out and they acquired pitcher Luis Castillo from Cincinnati in exchange for four prospects, one of which was uh, highly touted prospect Noel V. Marte, uh, infielder. So it kind of, uh, it's going to be tough to lose him, but uh, Luis Castillo is uh, quite the pitcher that's going to, I think it's going to get them over the edge. Uh, I mentioned, uh, well, let me finish this. The Mariners also acquired catcher Kurt Caselli and pitcher Matthew Boyd from San Francisco uh, in exchange for two minor leaguers. So I've been all over the Mariners you know, since the beginning of the season, thinking about or talking about how they could uh, contend for the American League championship. And uh, this trade further uh, proves that, um, you know, so stay tuned on the Mariners because Castillo to go along with Robbie Ray, Logan Gilbert, uh, those that that rotation is, is getting better uh, by the day. Uh, Houston Astros, they made a couple of moves themselves. They actually Went out and they acquired first baseman Trey Mancini from the Baltimore Orioles. It was a three-team trade with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, the Astros sent Jose Siri to Tampa. Astros then uh, made a trade with Boston. They got catcher Christian Vasquez. Uh, and then they also acquired relief pitcher Will Smith from the Atlanta Braves. And in that one, they sent one of their starters, Jake Odorizzi, to the Braves. So, uh Houston trying to make some moves to to contend with, uh, you know, the Yankees and Blue Jays and Mariners. Uh, the Yankees, speaking of them, they went out. They acquired starting pitcher Frankie Montas and relief pitcher Lou Trevino from the Oakland A's in exchange for four prospects. They also moved pitcher Jordan Montgomery to St. Louis uh, in exchange for outfielder Harrison Bader. All right, so that's just some outfield depth. Bader's got some good speed. Uh, keeping it in the American League East, the Boston Red Sox, they went out and they acquired outfielder Tommy Pham from the Cincinnati Reds, and they also acquired first baseman Eric Hosmer from the Padres. I mentioned uh, they wanted to get rid of Hosmer. They shipped him off to Boston. Tampa Bay, they went out and they acquired outfielder David Peralta from the Arizona Diamondbacks. They gave up one of their top prospects as a catcher, um, but Peralta's a good pickup for the Rays. 
He is uh, won a silver slugger and a gold glove. He'll keep Tampa Bay in that wild card mix uh, for sure. The Toronto Blue Jays, not to be uh, left out of this AL East trade deadline madness. They went out, they got infielder Whit Merrifield from the Kansas City Royals. Uh, they only gave up two prospects. That's a great ad for the for the Blue Jays. Uh, their infield is already loaded with youthful talent. Uh, Guerrero, uh, Bichette, Cavan uh, Biggio. Uh, they already have a lot of young talent uh, in the infield. Merrifield's not young, but um, he can play anywhere in the infield. Uh, he's good leadoff hitter. He's got some pop. He's got some speed, and uh, I think he'll be a great addition to that Blue Jays lineup that's just built on offense, really. Um, They have a great rotation, too, but uh, that Blue Jays lineup just got even better. Um, I certainly think Toronto's going to be in the mix there for the playoffs as well. Uh, Minnesota Twins, they made a few pitching moves. They went out and they got closer Jorge Lopez from the Orioles, uh, all-star closer this year. They then went out, they got relief pitcher Michael Fulmer from the Tigers. They also got starting pitcher uh, Tyler Maley from the Reds. So uh, Minnesota's trying to, you know, hang on to that uh, that division. Uh, we'll see if they can keep it up, but, you know, uh, they're, they certainly made the moves to, to get them over the edge. Uh, National League action, the Atlanta Braves, I mentioned they traded Will Smith to Houston in exchange for starting pitcher Jake Odorizzi, but they also acquired outfielder Robbie Grossman from the Tigers. Um, And then that vacancy left by Will Smith was replaced uh, by Los Angeles Angels closer uh, Rasiel Iglesias. So Iglesias is a great addition for the Braves, uh, probably a better pitcher than Will Smith. So they upgraded their eighth inning guy. Uh, of course, Kenley Jansen's their closer. So uh, that's going to be a, a tough back of the bullpen there for the Braves, who are uh, most certainly going to be in the playoffs this year again. St. Louis Cardinals, they uh, went out and they got starting pitcher Jose Quintana from Pittsburgh. The New York Mets, they got a couple of outfielders. They went out and they got Tyler Na- uh, Naquin from Cincinnati and Darren Ruff from San Francisco. Uh, just gave up a bunch of prospects for those guys. The Philadelphia Phillies, they went out. Uh, they got outfielder Brandon Marsh and starting pitcher Noah Syndergaard from the Los Angeles Angels. And they also acquired relief pitcher David Robertson from the Chicago Cubs. All right. Uh, so... That uh, that's good for the Phillies. I think they're a little far behind the Mets and the Braves in the NL East. So I don't know that Philly, you know, I, I think those moves might potentially uh, get them in a, a wild card spot at the end of the year. But uh, they're certainly not uh, going to compete for the division title. And the last noteworthy trade that went down was the Los Angeles Dodgers. They acquired. Outfielder Joey Gallo from the New York Yankees. Uh, all they gave up was a minor league player. Gallo's just had an absolutely abysmal year. He's hitting like 150. Aaron Judge has more home runs than Joey Gallo has hits this season. So, uh, you know, Gallo needed a change of scenery, but he goes from one huge market to another. Not sure that that's going to help him, but uh, he, he can hit 40, 50 home runs in a season. And uh, the Dodgers just got him for basically nothing. Now, the uh, other piece of MLB news, uh, I came across this uh, graphic. It listed the top 10 most and top 10 least expensive games to attend in Major League Baseball. Now, before I read the lists, the prices include uh, the price of four tickets, hot dogs, beers, sodas, and parking. All right, so it's basically... Um, to take four people to a game, have a hot dog, a beer, a soda, and park your car, all right? This is your top 10 least, uh, well, we'll do most first. How about that? Top 10 most expensive games to go see. Number 10, St. Louis Cardinals, about 208 bucks a game. Number nine, Chicago White Sox, 215 bucks. Number eight, and I thought this was surprising, the Texas Rangers. My Rangers are 228 bucks to go see them uh, every night. Um, I, you know, I, they built a new stadium. I think that's, and they just signed two guys for $600 million this offseason, so that's probably got to be why. 
Number seven is the San Francisco Giants, two hundred and forty-five bucks. Number six, Los Angeles Dodgers, two hundred and sixty-six. I figured they would have been much higher on this list. Two hundred and sixty-six bucks to go to a Dodgers game for four people seems kind of cheap. Um, number five, the Washington Nationals, two hundred and seventy-nine dollars. Number four, the Houston Astros, two hundred and ninety-four. Number three, the New York Yankees, three hundred and three. That's not surprising. Number two, the Chicago Cubs, $313. Again, not surprising, uh, even though they're absolutely horrible this year. And then the most expensive game to go to, take your family to, is the Boston Red Sox, $324. Top 10 least expensive. These are the cheapest games, all right? Uh, Cheapest games to go to for a family of four. Number 10, Minnesota Twins, $179. Number nine, Cleveland Guardians, 177. Number eight, Baltimore Orioles, 170. Number seven, the Detroit Tigers, $168. Number six, the Cincinnati Reds, $159. Number five, Tampa Bay Rays, $157. Number four, uh, Colorado Rockies, $155. Number three, Pittsburgh Pirates, $150. Number two, Miami Marlins, 136. And the cheapest game to go to is the Arizona Diamondbacks at $126. So uh, I I don't think any of those teams are a surprise, really, because they're all... uh, Tampa Bay being as low as they are might be the only surprise out of that group, considering how well they're playing. But we know Tampa's always struggled with attendance issues. So uh, those I just thought that was very interesting. We'll move over real quick to the PGA Tour. Uh, the PGA Tour they're, uh, released their 2022-2023 uh, regular season schedule. It's got 47 events, uh, but most importantly, they have a record prize money this year, totaling $415 million in prize money, uh, which is way more than it's ever been. They also reduced the field size for the FedEx Cup playoffs. Um, all of that is in an effort to keep more players from leaving the PGA Tour and going over to the uh, LIV Tour Live Golf. Um, now, I did see this. It was reported that Tiger Woods actually turned down an offer from uh, the uh, Live Golf that was in the neighborhood of between seven hundred and eight hundred million dollars. All right, um, that I don't know how you turn that down. That's almost one billion dollars. But Tiger Woods, it's not about the money with him. Um, that report actually came straight from the LIV Golf. CEO Greg Norman. So uh, that's that's uh, a credible report that Tiger Woods turned down a $700 million offer from, from the Live Golf Tour. Uh, but we'll see. Hopefully some guys that jumped over to Live will go back to the PGA Tour um, with this more prize money that they're handing out. I just, I hate giving up on the tour. I, you know, I, I didn't watch any of the Live Golf stuff, but uh, I'm not interested in that. I, you know, I don't care for the format. I'm old school. I like I like the PGA Tour and the major championships and all that stuff. So um, I just thought that was noteworthy. And then the last thing to close out around the island, um, another graphic that I came across that published the top 10 most valuable U.S. sports franchises. And this was uh, via Sportico as uh, the reference here company Sportico released this graphic top 10 most valuable U.S. sports franchises at number 10 the Boston Red Sox 5.07 billion dollars number nine the San Francisco 49ers 5.18 billion dollars now these are all in billions by the way with a b okay number eight Los Angeles Lakers 5.63 Uh, Number seven, New York Giants, 5.73. Number six, the New England Patriots, 5.88 billion. Number five, the the LA Rams, 5.91 billion. Number four, the Golden State Warriors, 6.02 billion. Number three, the New York Knicks, 6.12 billion. Number two, the New York Yankees, 7.01 billion. And at number one, the most valuable U.S. sports franchise 
is my beloved Dallas Cowboys at $7.64 billion. Okay, that's not a surprise. They, they've always kind of hung up there on the Forbes list and all that. But, you know, you'll see, uh, I think what we list off, uh, five, one, two, three, four, five football teams in that, uh, two baseball teams, and uh, three NBA teams. Now, I don't know how the hell the Knicks are worth the third third most value. Uh, they've been horrible for a long time. Um, just not a whole lot going on. I would say the Warriors are certainly more valuable than the Knicks, but uh, not according to this. So uh, I just thought, again, just a random, you want random sports facts and stats. This is what this, this podcast is all about. But that is going to wrap up the 86th episode of Sports Island. Certainly another information-packed episode. Um, it's going to be another good weekend in sports. We have the uh, PGA Tour's last regular season event, uh, Wyndham Championship. I'll be tuned into that. Uh, trade deadline just passed in baseball, so we'll get to see a lot of new faces and new places this weekend if you're watching some Major League Baseball. And then, of course, uh, I mentioned uh, that later this week, uh, or maybe it's already passed for you if you've listened to this, but Thursday night the preseason starts in the NFL, and so... Uh, We're rocking and rolling on some preseason football. So another good weekend of sports, and we'll get you caught up next week on everything that went down uh, this upcoming week. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.